Joke Workshop. Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Top three cooking tips. One, if you're cutting an onion, remember to cry. Two, put mustard on your marshmallows after they've finished boiling in vinegar at a low temperature. Three, knives are not spoons. When the circus is in town, it's time for a train ride. The best circus town train rides are the dependable ones that'll depart and arrive on time. The ones that'll take you from clown to trapeze quad elephant, see? But come on the train with the circus promise. It's intense. Hey there, fire chief. What you doing here with that old jalopy? Looking laid back with that jazz cigarette. Oh, I'd send you a telegram. If I didn't have to... those now, which you dear? Oh, yeah. I like your style, kid. Why don't we let the butter on the toast melt? If you know what I mean, and I know that you do. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Today, chemical rated this food with bombs like the plants and the people in Vietnam. This is the worst Agent Orange. I've ever been alone. 
Hell, it's a tomato. The other day I was in the mood for some energy in the form of food and greeting the owners I entered the store I didn't realize what I was in the for. Test tube food. <laughs> As I walked down the aisle from the shelves the packages all tried to sell themselves. I'm ten cents off. Buy me you. I got pink and purple hues. Howard Hughes, Test Tube Blues. You'll like me, honey, said some salad oil. The figure of my bottle will never spoil. And on my back, there's an offer label for a CD player for your kitchen table. Sorry, sister. You look a little bit too oil slicky for me. This food's fun, it'll get your girls, and the coupon gets your flag that unfurls to the beat of the Spangled Banner song. You better try it now, the offer won't last long. Homeland Security food, you eat it, and it does surveillance inside you the rest of your life. I found out where the produce were, and I bebopped on over there. I said they chemical rated this food with bombs like the plants and the people in Vietnam. Agent Oranges. I held a tomato in my hand. It was red but hard, you understand. Tomato, I said, this ain't your natural beauty. You're a drugged up money-making cutie. Just a pretty face. Folks at Griot love only wealth, they don't give a damn about our health. Shut up and package without love. Tomato, you weren't grown up, you were shoved. Your upbringing's gonna bring me down. Still standing in the produce section of a supermarket, surrounded by people uh, speaking to a tomato. By eating you, I'm gonna bum trip, kid. You done more drugs than I ever did. We're victims of a capitalistic raid and the folks that picked you were underpaid. Viva Cesar Chavez! The cash register ring awakened me and it brought me out of my fantasy. And I went and I spoke to the counter cat and I told him just where I was at. Here and now. Wow. Wow. If you have postmenopausal osteoporosis, I said, Lord knows I got a rumbling gut in my stomach since my throat's been cut. But I ain't about to have my insides glued by this poison I call test tube food. You eat it. Wrong. 
Yeah, there's plenty of things here you want me to swallow, but my body and soul would still be hollow. Besides, I sing off-key madrigals if I ate a food with 17 syllables. Easier to swallow a scrabble board. Methyl oxide, potassium methyl, was that their regular ethyl? There's Panama red and there's methyl red, and one will leave you tired and the other one dead, take your pick. Now through corporate proclivities, some food has radioactivity. Glowing proof that yours can be a radiant nuclear family. You don't even have to cook it either. You just open the can on the counter and it has a meltdown. So I went to a place where the food was fast serving clone cows raised on pasture land rainforest once. I think I'd rather have some slow food for lunch, but not a corporate burger. It could have come from a septic company merger and it ain't no fun to eat what's in between those buns. Now I ain't quite ready to live just on the rays of the sun like I know some Indian yogis have done. But you are what you eat and how strange you see to go by the name of MSG. By for and about working people. And here's a working song if I ever heard one. The Sloop John B. Beach Boys. So broke up, I wanna go 
los lobos. This is the B. Good morning to you all. This is the Labor and Love Show, and you're tuned in to Mutiny Radio, mutinyradio.fm. Guajira, Guantanamera 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 Guajira, Guantanamera
Okay, let's start out with... Uh, let's do one more here for our lead-off. Subterranean homesick. John is in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat batch out laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway looking for a new friend. The man in a coonskin cap in a pig pen wants $11 bills. You only got 10. Right, that'll that'll do for a lead-in. This is the B, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio. Specifically, you're listening to Labor and Love, our Saturday morning labor magazine, by, for, and about working people. Labor opinion, news, history, and commentary. Features like Labor School and This Day in Labor History. An overall look at what's going on with working people. And as usual, the show is dedicated to those more than 3,500 working people worldwide who will die today. They will die because of labor-related conditions or mishaps. If that number comes to the U.S., it's 150. 150 people die today because labor conditions or conditions spawned by their work. Black lung disease, for example. Okay, so let's go over our lead. We had, we led with, um, we just had Bob Dylan subterranean homesick blues talking about the life of a young working class kid and all the things you're, uh, 
pushed to do. And then we had Guantanamera, the anthem of the Castro Revolution and also the anthem of generations of people in the United States and Cuba who wanted to make common cause and make a better world. Before that, Brother Charlie Morgan with Test Tube Blues telling about uh, the new market in foods that do things for themselves. In other words, Frankenfoods. And we let off, or tried to lead off, with the Beach Boys' John B., a song well known as a folk song. But if you listen to the words, a song of real struggle and toil by sailors. Well, good morning to you all. What have we got on the Labor and Love show this year? I want to start off, and we'll get to this, with... Uh, finishing the little feature on Disney and the strike at Disney in 1941. Then why Corbin won? Jeremy Corbin, you know, something really approaching a real socialist, a Bernie Sanders type, uh, scored a big, big upset in the uh, British elections took away the ruling class, the ruling party's majority, and uh, get to that. Labor radio, as usual, the U.S. labor scene, radio labor, the world labor scene, and how about labor school? How to orient new members into your union? We'll talk about the experience of some nurses. We'll have some something about Oscar Lopez, Oscar Lopez Rivera, the Puerto Rican activist, political activist, political activist, and theorist of the resistance movement in Puerto Rico. What's happening with with teachers? The ACCJC, which is the accrediting agency of the uh, state education department has made news recently by going back on one of their things about Compton College in L.A. So we'll get to that and we'll do our regular features as well. Welcome Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead I got love for my brother, but we can 
How can the devil take a brother if he's close to me? Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids, but then it changed. That's the way it is. Come on, come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. begun on a story about a baby circus elephant called Dumbo. Despite the fact... I just stop that for a minute. This is... As I said, we're going to finish up. That, that was, first of all, that was uh, Tupac Shakur with his... Uh, his song Changes. 
We've got to change the way we he, he gets into it all. Um, Tupac has a definite misogynist strain, but he's also very profound about the need to cooperate. And he's very profound about the life around him, the way people who are broke have to live. What happens in situations like that? So that's uh, Tupac. Now let's listen to this Walt Disney. We're talking about a strike that happened in 1941, mostly because of Disney's attitude towards his workers and his determination to take credit for everything for everything that that was done in his studio and to keep pay low and uh, women in their place women were mostly copyists at the same time presenting himself to the world as Uncle Walt this wonderful father figure who, you know, treated everybody really well and uh, was kind of this fount of happiness. So let's see here. We've got Disney uh, testifying before the HUAC and calling out some of the leaders of the strike against him in later years as communists. But let's listen to this. Walt Disney. Before the strike... Work had begun on a story about a baby circus elephant called Dumbo. Despite the fact that some of his best artists were now manning the picket lines, Disney was determined that work on the picture should continue. Produced mostly by strike breakers, Dumbo made a thinly veiled reference to the studio's own crisis. In one scene, some greedy circus clowns sow the seeds of industrial unrest. This idea is sensational! Let's go tell the boss! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, let's hit him for a race. Yeah, sure, this is white real dough. Oh, we're gonna hit the big boss for a race. Yes, we're gonna hit the big boss for a race. Back on the picket line, Disney's own workers were not afraid to show the big boss how they felt. Disney had to kind of run the gauntlet to get to his own studio. Must have been awful for him. We would shout and yell. It was kind of frightening. Somebody yelled something out that he uh, didn't like, and he got out of his car, and he was ready to run and, and kind of go at it with this fellow physically, but he was restrained. Uh, by this time, his fuse was so low that, uh, that the spark was ready to hit the TNT. He just went ballistic about that strike, I'll tell you. Came out every day almost and stood there about oh 60 feet back of the gates to watch the picket line he had someone come out and photograph the picket line photograph everybody that was in the picket line his office was lined with the photos 
of all the people on the picket lines, and he would go through and pick out and say, this bastard, you know, I did this for him, and this one over here, and I'm never going to do this for the other. He had taken it to all kind of wild proportion. He had personalized it. It was no longer a question of unions. It was no longer a question of, of uh, fair pay and low work. It was a question of betrayal. It was, this is the thanks I get for all I've done for you. The strike dragged on. The more Disney thought about it, the harder he found it to accept that the strikers had willingly defied him. He became convinced that the real truth was that communists were behind the strike. He saw the strike as a microcosm of the growing communist threat in, in uh, Hollywood and America. It was almost a heroic posture that I think he saw himself uh, in the Alamo of Hollywood, you know, fighting off these, uh, these insurgents. At that time, uh, everybody was seeing a red under every bush in, in Hollywood, and uh, and he just he just assumed that we were anybody who was out on strike was just communist. Co communist. That was all there was to it. Had nothing to do with being or not being a communist. Had to do with a labor problem in the studio and solving it. What did the goddamn communists have to do with that? Everyone I knew there, all my friends, we were out on strike, and I, we'd known each other for a long time, and uh, there wasn't a single communist among the lot. The strike entered its second month. It had become the longest-running labor dispute in Hollywood history. By now, Disney was desperate to end it. He turned to organized crime for help. Willie Byoff was a gangster from Chicago. He'd been taking payoffs from studio bosses in return for neutralizing Hollywood's trade unions. Byoff was an organized crime figure. He was part of the Capone mob, and um, he was very much uh, a known crime figure in this town. But all the studios accepted him and welcomed him in because uh, he was helping them keep out a larger problem, which was unions. Disney decided that Byoff was his best hope of breaking the strike. He drew up an offer to put to the strike leaders and asked Byoff to deliver it. Byoff took them to his home at night in a big limo with gangsters with machine guns and everything. The whole schmear of scaring the hell out of these kids and threatened them that if they didn't take this, it would be or else kind of a situation. These guys were capable of murder and they scared the hell out of everybody. The kids came back trembling, white as a sheet, to report what had happened. And that's when, at that very emotional evening, these our strikers had been on a strike for over eight weeks, turned it down, as hungry as they were. And it was a very noble thing for them to do. We turned it down because of this guy being a dirty guy, you know, a gangster. So, uh, and the fact that Disney would deal with it, by then, didn't surprise us. For Disney, to deal with this buy-off, who was a, a pimp and a proven extortionist, was the lowest thing that I think any, any studio could do. The rejection of the buy-off deal had pushed Disney to the verge of a nervous breakdown. He developed a series of twitches and phobias and was washing his hands as much as 30 times an hour. August 1941. As the strike enters its seventh week, 
Disney and a small group of loyalists leave Los Angeles on a flight bound for Rio. Disney's brother Roy had persuaded him to travel to Latin America on a government-sponsored goodwill trip. Roy knew that Disney's mental state had deteriorated so far that he'd become a liability. The idea was to get rid of Walt Disney, to get him out of the picture, so they could settle this thing. And in his absence, Roy, his brother, who was far more practical and at this point in touch with reality, settled the strike in 24 hours. He negotiated a settlement with the union, and that was it. The strike was over, and Disney had lost. The settlement conceded virtually all the strikers' demands, including better pay and conditions, and the recognition of an independent trade union. When news of the settlement reached Walt Disney in South America, he became so furious that he wrecked his makeshift office. When Walt came back and, and realized that he had to accept the union, it was probably the darkest day of his life. But there was some good news. While Disney had been away, the strike breakers had finished Dumbo. It had been made at remarkable speed. It went into production just before the strike began in May 41, and was already finished by the time the strike ended in September. Freed from the demands of Disney's perfectionism and attention to detail, the animators adopted a surprisingly uncomplicated style. The lavish backgrounds and intricate artwork of Pinocchio were replaced by a simpler, more cartoon-like look. Okay, so that's the sort of a thumbnail history of the 1941 strike. Now listen to Disney testifying before the House Committee on Un-American Activities. This is six years later, how he gets back at at, uh, the people who defied Uncle Walt. I I don't believe it's a political party. I believe it's an un-American thing. And uh, the thing that, that I resent the most is that they are able to get into these unions and take them over. And I feel that, uh, that they really ought to be smoked out and shown up for what they are so that all the good free causes in this country, all the liberalisms that really are American, can go out without this taint of communism. Any DeFranco, which side are you on?
This year is our time. Now there's folks in Washington that care what's on our minds. Come on, come on, voters. Let's all vote next time. Show them which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Thirty years of digging.
war is really at home. And we heard this slogan, bring the war home. And that's what we're going to do. we got to bring the war home. we got to get them fucking comedy rats. They're all over. You can't tell where they are. Up and down, sideways, inside out. we got to watch where we are. we got to watch them. Before they kill us. Can't take no chances. I mean, even them kids alive will grow up and be commies, right? If it's got to be a bloodbath, let it be a bloodbath. What I say is, kill for peace. That's the slogan. Just kill for peace. The more students we get rid of, the more peaceful everything will be. for peace by the Fugs and the uh, redoubtable Tully Kupfenberg. Last week we had him reading a poem by Vachel Lindsay. Which side are you on? By any DeFranco. Which side are you on? I know it's a song. It's an oft-repeated uh, sentence. But which side are you on? Way down deep. Who are you for? That doesn't mean you agree with everything that happens or the side you're on. You don't agree with everything they do. But which side are you on, ultimately? I pose that question to the Pacifica City Council in a letter and to the uh, mayor and to the editor of the local paper, the Pacifica Tribune. Which side are you on? There's a rent control initiative 
rent stabilization actually, not very extreme in Pacifica now that's being opposed by members of the Apartment Owners Association, who of course don't want any type of rent control. They want everything left up to their consciences, which is what we leave too many things up to, the consciences of business people. At any rate, they're dead set against any kind of rent control or stabilization. They've targeted smear campaigns against the three of the five uh, city council members who voted uh, in favor of a rent stabilization. Um, and they've tried in sort of an underhanded way to get people to sign up to put a rent stabilization initiative on the ballot, which it's already on the ballot. The real import is they want people to sign up against it. So, which side are you on? Which side are you on, Mayor? Which side are you on, Editor? Which side are you on, Worker? Okay, we've got a couple of our, uh, news services that we always um, put on. We've got a bulletin from the Labor Radio. That's Workers Independent News. And then Radio Labor, which is World News. So let's start with Labor Radio. What's happening in the labor scene here? Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. With great fanfare and his best P.T. Barnum Act, Trump Friday did his best to tout his infrastructure plan, but economists at the Economic Policy Institute say his plan is thin and fake. The AFL-CIO is calling for a real $1 trillion investment in rebuilding America's infrastructure, but Trump is only putting up $200 billion. The American Society of Civil Engineers say the real number needed to properly rebuild U.S. infrastructure is $4.6 trillion. The engineers in a report called Failure to Act say if we don't invest that much, America stands to lose two and a half million jobs and seven trillion dollars in lost business sales by 2025. The AFL-CIO's Tom Trotter says what the engineers are predicting is already real for the United States because of the state of our infrastructure. The reality is we're already suffering from that. I mean, because of the state of our infrastructure right now, we're already not gaining the jobs we should. Our economic growth is constrained. The People's Summit convenes in Chicago this weekend. Senator Bernie Sanders is headlining the event Build as Beyond Resistance, a people's movement for a just world. The People's Summit says, quote, at a time of tremendous turmoil and progressive opportunity, we invite you to participate in a historic convening of organizations and individuals committed to social, racial, and economic justice, end quote. The gathering is an effort to bring together progressive activists, including some labor unions, to create a people's agenda that can enhance and expand issue campaigns and hold 
hold all elected officials accountable to popular demands for justice, equality, and freedom. National Nurses United and the United Electrical Workers are the only labor unions listed as convening partners. 2,000 IBEW Local 3 technicians have been on strike for over nine weeks at Spectrum Cable in New York City and New Jersey. On the New York City picket lines, Wynn interviewed this striker, who chose not to give his name, about the issues in this strike. The CEO was the highest paid CEO in the whole country at $98.5 million till 2021. They could justify giving him an increase of something like over $70 million a year. But yet the workers who are making their money interacting with the public, they can't give them a fair contract, fair medical plan. When neo-Nazis and fascists held their free speech rally in Portland, Oregon, just days after two people were brutally murdered trying to defend Muslim women from a neo-Nazi, the regional carpenters union knew which side it was on. Ben Basem is director of organizing and communications with the Pacific Northwest Regional Council of Carpenters. These types of groups, these right-wing extremists, have a long history of opposing organized labor. So it's very important that we, as organized labor, do what we can to oppose them. And we feel that opposing these types of fascist and racist activities in our city is very important as organized labor. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, June 9th, 2017. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, Labor calls for an end to the occupation of Palestine. Hundreds of unionists are attending the annual conference of the UN's International Labor Organization in Geneva. Labor unions mark World Environment Day. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. Fifty years ago this week, Israel occupied the West Bank and subjugated its Palestinian population to illegal military control. Seymourie Ainsborough reports. The International Trade Union Confederation, the ITUC, has called for renewed negotiations to end the occupation of Palestine and its four and a half million people. The ITUC is the global body which represents national union centers, such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. The ITUC wants an end to the occupation and the establishment of a two-state solution based on the June 4, 1967 borders. It's also demanding the removal of all illegal settlements in the occupied territories. A statement released on the ITUC website on the 50th anniversary of the occupation says negotiations are the only way to ensure peaceful coexistence based on two sovereign states. Two labor federations are active in the region. The Palestinian General Federation of Trade Unions has an estimated 300,000 members. Israel's Central Labor Federation, the Histadrut, has about 650,000 members, including thousands of Arabic workers. Both labor organizations are members of the ITUC. This is Seymourie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labor. In Geneva, hundreds of unionists are part of the 5,000 delegates attending the annual conference of the International Labor Organization. The ILO is the UN specialized agency focused on matters of work in the world. It is operated in a tripartite fashion by representatives of governments, employer groups, and labor unions. The theme of the conference this year is the future of work, with a special emphasis on climate change. 
The discussion on climate change has been heightened by the announcement by the U.S. government to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. One of the labor leaders speaking at the ILO conference was Francis Atwali, the president of Kenya's Central Organization of Trade Unions, KOTU. Mr. Atwali called on the U.S. to keep the promises it made when it signed the Paris Agreement in 2015. He also called for a just transition for workers to greener, more sustainable economies. It is unfortunate that the United States government has pulled out during this hour of need, but nevertheless the world should appeal to the government of the United States to reconsider its position on climate change. Ladies and gentlemen, now that international consensus exists on the need to prevent, mitigate and adapt climate change, what needs to be done is to chart inclusive strategies and approaches on how the International Labour Organization can empower its constituents to meaningfully and productively participate in formulation of their nationally determined contributions, NDCs, to the implementation of the outcomes of the Paris Agreement and related conventions. Monday, June 5th was World Environment Day, a commemorative day established by the United Nations to energize the struggle against human-caused climate change. The day came after the United States declared its intention to withdraw from the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, which was adopted by all but two countries in the world, Nicaragua, which thought the agreement didn't go far enough, and Syria, a failed state in the midst of a civil war. The Paris Agreement signed in 2015 is designed to limit global warming caused by carbon emissions to 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. It is the first legally binding global agreement, but allows countries to self-police their efforts as long as they report regularly on their attempts to lower their carbon emissions. Events to mark World Environment Day took place all over the world, with central events taking place in the 2017 host country, Canada. Hassan Youssef is the president of the Canadian Labour Congress and the president of the Trade Union Confederation of the Americas, which includes the world's largest economy, the United States. Climate change is the biggest threat to humanity. And as workers, I think we have a central role to play in how we can combat the climate change. I think if we don't take this seriously, fundamentally, I think that um, it's going to be a very hostile world for us to live in. The first thing that needs to be, I think, be assured to my workers, should they have to lose their job or to make adjustment, they will have generous income support while they're going through that period. It's also important that we give them the best uh, opportunity to reskill themselves. Employers need to be, uh, be more innovative in the workplace. All workplaces need to examine how they use energy, how they contribute to the challenges, of course, to climate change, and more importantly, what are they going to do in, in working with unions and government. This has been the tradition of our movement. It's always been the history of our movement. We've never been fearful of the future. So it is critical for our members to see themselves in this process as a necessary part of how we build a better world and a more sustainable world. Naomi Klein, the author of This Changes Everything, is a climate change activist often consulted by labor unions. This existential threat means that we are on a hard science-based deadline and we cannot afford to lose. The fate of humanity hangs in the balance. If you want to know where business as usual leads, I mean, you need to cast your mind back to Hurricane Katrina hitting New Orleans because that was a glimpse of the future. 
uh, for anyone who cares to look. That's what our current system is built to do. So you had a natural disaster of the kind we're going to see more and more of, colliding with weak and neglected infrastructure. There's so much fear associated with climate change that we think that if we really look at this issue, like it would change everything about our, about our daily work. And I see it really differently. I actually think that climate change supercharges so much of the work that the labor movement is already doing in the fights against free trade deals, in protecting basic labor rights, and in fighting austerity. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of 300 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to news about the global union movement's reaction to the 50th anniversary of the occupation of Palestine, planned rollbacks of workplace rights in Brazil, and huge and ongoing strikes in Colombia by public sector workers. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Australian miners down tools for 48 hours to back their union's demand for improved compensation and job security. Financial services workers walked out over their working conditions across Guinea. Spanish dockers continued their protests over labor law reform by shutting down the country's ports for three days. Unpaid for weeks, school teachers in parts of Nigeria walked off the job, while two pickets were seriously injured when the army attempted to break a university worker's strike. Over 1,000 Cambodian garment workers struck after they were denied time off work to participate in elections. Then they struck again when their union's leaders were sacked or suspended for leading that strike. And nurses were again on the picket lines as the Kenyan government reneged on an agreement that ended a previous strike over the government's failure to implement a prior agreement. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the dozens of women domestic workers who have been imprisoned for trying to flee abusive employers across the Middle East, the election of a new president of the midwives union in the United Kingdom, and the developing momentum for paid domestic violence leave in Canada. The Health and Safety Newswire we run in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the workplace exposure to dangerous substances experienced by Canadian customs workers, South African protests against workplace gender violence, and the dangers posed to English firefighters by cuts to staffing levels. Currently, Labour Start is running seven online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Radio Labor's newscasts are available on its website, iTunes, mobile phones, union websites, and community radio stations. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay, those were our labor reports, Radio Labor and Labor Radio.
Um, Labor Radio is uh, Workers Independent News. Radio Labor is the International Report. And something interesting that happened in international news this week was the upset win by Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party, the British Labor Party, which closely resembles a real socialist party under under Corbyn. Okay, and and after Tony Blair, the British Labour Party was a mess. Um, its leaders, Tony uh, Blair and Brown, were pushing for privatization. They joined uh, the war in in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq with a lot of energy and support. Um, this is the first election Labour has won seats in since 1997. So 325 votes are needed for a majority. Theresa May's conservative party now, after this election, has only 314. Corbyn and his team rebuilt the party's mass base, turning labor into Europe's largest party with more than a half million members. Momentum, the grassroots formation created to support the effort, organized tens of thousands in communities across Britain. Battles with the Labour Centre and Right helped in a certain way, distancing the leadership from a discredited establishment. Let's see. Part of it was a youth movement. Corbyn salvaged this election by bucking Labour's conservative side over the past several decades, and sticking to his left-wing guns. His success provides a blueprint for what democratic socialists need to do in the years to come. Labor surge confirms what the left has long argued. People like an honest defense of public's goods. Labor's manifesto was sweeping. It's most socialist in decades. It was a straightforward document calling for nationalization of key utilities, access to education, housing and health services for all, and measures to redistribute income from corporations and the rich to ordinary people. £6.3 billion into primary schools, the protection of pensions, free tuition, public housing construction, it was clear what labor would do for British workers. It resonated with popular desires, a view of fairness that seemed elementary to millions. Labor left remembered that you don't win by tacking on an imaginary center. You win by letting people know that their anger, you feel their anger and giving them a constructive end to channel it towards. We demand the full fruits of our labor. The party's election video said it all. Okay, what have we got here? We got a nascent, a real labor, a real 
labor movement, a real socialist plan for society. But we'll have to see, won't we? This is the B. We're right on top of the 11 o'clock hour. The show is Labor and Love. And it's one of the many shows that you can find on mutinyradio.fm. Shows ranging from comedy to commentary to jokes to uh, serious news to shows like this, political shows. Come on down to Mutiny Radio. We always need new programmers. Give yourself a voice. We're located in the heart of the Mission District 2781 21st Street. Come on down to Mutiny Radio. Take a little break now. Come back with some Lalo Guerrero. And we still need to talk about Oscar Rivera, the Puerto Rican nationalist. How to welcome new members into your union on our labor school. And the recertification of Compton Junior College in Los Angeles. A big victory for labor and for students, for the public. Echar un buen borlo ese. Con esta bote 
de aquella este bugui. Mi jaina se llama Juana, 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 Juana. Pero ya todos los vatos le dicen marihuana. Mari, marihuana, cómo te quiero yo. Ese buggy me siento volador. Pégale bute esas teclas, ya estoy aviador. Pégale bute esas teclas, que ya estoy Jenny Rivera, ni princesa ni esclava. No estoy pidiendo joyas, ni pieles ni palacios, ni quiero que me alfombren las calles al pasar. Tampoco es que yo exija ni tierras ni riquezas. Está recibiendo Me gusta regalar Tan solo estoy pidiendo Sentirme bien amada Que me amen como yo amo Con fuego y con pasión Ojalá comprendiera Estoy desesperada Buscando quien se entregue Como me entrego yo Simplemente mujer 
princesa ni esclava, ni esclava ni princesa, simplemente mujer.
Okay, we got off into the love part of the show there, and who better to take us there than the great Jenny Rivera, particular favorite of mine. <clears throat> she sang, Estaré contigo cuando triste estés. I'll be with you when you're sad, if you're sad. Before that, ni princesa ni esclava. I'm not a princess. And I'm not your slave. I'm. And before that, the great Lalo Guerrero. We only play great people on this show. Great Lalo Guerrero and his marijuana boogie. And uh, by the way, our backup music today is the best of Miles Davis, as a lot of you have probably figured out. Okay, Puerto Rican activist Roberto Lope, Oscar Lopez Rivera was freed recently from a 35-year jail term for inciting people from his movement for Puerto Rican liberation to active participation. Let's listen. This is Juan Gonzalez and uh, three and around the world. Today we spend the hour with longtime Puerto Rican independence activist Oscar Lopez Rivera, who was imprisoned for more than 35 years, much of the time in solitary confinement, before President Obama commuted his sentence in January. On May 17, 2017, less than a month ago, Lopez Rivera was released. Today he joins us in our New York studio. Oscar Lopez Rivera was born in San Sebastián, Puerto Rico, and moved with his family to Chicago when he was a boy. He was drafted into the Army at age 18 and served in Vietnam, for which he was awarded the Bronze Star. Upon his return in 1967, he became a community organizer who fought for bilingual education, jobs, and better housing. During the 1970s and 1980s, he was a leader of the pro-independence group FALN, uh, the, armed liberation, uh, the Forces of Armed National Liberation. Its members sent more than 100 bombs, including one attack on Francis Tavern in New York City that killed four people. He was never charged, however, with setting those bombs. Instead, in 1981, Lopez Rivera was convicted on federal charges that included seditious conspiracy, conspiring to oppose U.S. authority over Puerto Rico by force. In fact, seditious conspiracy is the same charge Nelson Mandela faced. Lopez Rivera described his charges in a rare prison interview in 2006. I think that the fact that I was charged with seditious conspiracy to overthrow the government of the United States speaks for itself. But the charge in, in reference to Puerto Ricans has always been used for political purposes. It goes back to 1936, the first time that a group of Puerto Ricans was put in, in prison was by using the seditious conspiracy charge. And this is, has always been a strictly political charge used against Puerto Ricans. In 1999, President Bill Clinton commuted the sentences of 16 members of the FALN. Uh, but Lopez Rivera refused at that time to accept the deal because it did not include two fellow activists who have since been released. 
This is Oscar Lopez Rivera's first visit to New York City since his release last month, and it coincides with New York's longstanding Puerto Rican Day Parade, which always takes place on the second Sunday of June. This year's organizers chose to honor Lopez Rivera as the parade's first national freedom hero. This prompted the city's police chief and a number of corporate sponsors to boycott the event, including Goya Foods, Coca-Cola, Univision and Telemundo. As Juan reported, in his column for The New York Daily News, a boycott campaign to condemn López Rivera as a terrorist was quietly organized by a right-wing conservative group in Washington, D.C., the Media Research Center, that receives major funding from donors close to both President Trump and to Breitbart News." Unquote. Well, Oscar López Rivera says he will still march, but not as an official honoree, simply as a humble Puerto Rican and a grandfather. Over the years, one of Oscar Lopez Rivera's strongest supporters has been Archbishop Desmond Tutu. On Wednesday, Tutu issued a statement in support of his participation in the parade, noting, quote, had South Africans and people of the African diaspora allowed others to determine who he would embrace, Mandela would still be in prison and have been stripped of the stature we gave him and that he deserved, unquote. All of this comes as Puerto Rico is in the midst of a bankruptcy process and is preparing to hold a referendum on its political future on Sunday, the same day as the parade. For more, we're joined in studio by Oscar Lopez Rivera. While in prison, he wrote two books, Between Torture and Resistance and Letters to Karina. We're also joined by Juan Cartagena, President and General Counsel of Latino Justice. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Oscar Lopez Rivera, how does it feel to be free? It feels wonderful. It feels uh, completely, completely different than being in prison. Uh, I, for the first time, I can hear the roosters sing early in the morning. I can see, I can see my family. I can see my friends. I can see uh, my granddaughter. I recently went to California just to spend a few days with her. Uh, I can move around Puerto Rico, uh, so it feels wonderful. It, fe it feels uh, a world completely, completely different than the world of prisons. And uh, all of these years that you were not only in prison, but on solitary for a, a good portion of that time, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, did you have an expectation that you would eventually be freed? And was it a surprise when, uh, in early early this year, you finally got the word that President Obama had commuted your sentence? Well, one, one of the things that I never allowed myself to do was to fall into what, what I call uh, illusory optimism, you know. So. I, I try my best to keep my hope that I will come out of prison, but at the same time prepare for the worst. So on May 17th, on, my, on January 17th, when President Obama uh, commuted my sentence, and I was told that my sentence had been commuted, my reaction was not one that was expected because I was prepared for the worst. And it took me about four days to really, really realize that I was on my way out of prison. 
but it was not a very, very exciting moment when I was told that President Obama had commuted my sentence. Now, this wasn't the first commutation. I mean, Bill Clinton also did this, um, along with a number of your compatriots, right, 16 uh, Puerto Rican independence activists. But you chose not to leave at that time. You could have left more than a decade ago, two decades ago. Well, uh, I believe in principles, and I have never left anyone behind, whether it was in Vietnam, whether it was in the city of Chicago, whether it was in Puerto Rico. And for me, it was important to stay in prison while two of my co-defendants were in prison. Uh, both of them came out by 2010, both of them were out of prison, and finally on May, on May 17th, I was finally, finally out of prison. I was, the sentence was commuted uh, 17th of January, but I had to be under home confinement until May 17th. So it, it was May 17th when I started to walk on the streets of Puerto Rico and to enjoy Puerto Rico. Uh, Juan Cartagena, I wanted to ask you about the campaign to free Oscar Lopez Rivera. It, could, it really included the, a cross-section of all the political persuasions, religious groups uh, uh, in Puerto Rico, and it lasted for a long time. I remember when we were covering the Democratic Convention uh, in Philadelphia, there was a very strong contingent from Chicago and other cities that had come to demonstrate at the Democratic Convention about the issue of finally freeing him. Uh, your, no, your sense of the importance of that campaign? Oh, critically important. Um, many of us thought that uh, one last hope would have been the Obama administration. Right? We were hoping uh, for a long time that the President Obama would actually commute his sentence. We were—I was following how President Obama was eulogizing uh, Nelson Mandela when he went to the wake in South Africa, talking about how, by freeing Mandela, the system also freed itself. And in many ways, we kept, I kept using that, and others kept using that kind of quote. We also recognize that this this incredible unity that happened in Puerto Rico is hardly ever seen that many times, right? In my own lifetime, I've seen it around Vieques, but rarely have I, we seen so many political parties, so many faith union members, and and activists of all persuasions of all types really line up to make sure that Oscar Rivera, Lopez Rivera was freed, and. You don't have the, the happiness, the joy, and the pride that we have that we finally uh, were able to achieve that because, as he said, he's a man of principle. And to, to work on behalf of a man of principle has always been an honor. We're going to break and then come back to our discussion with Juan Cartagena, who's president and general counsel of Latino Justice, and with Oscar. Okay, that was uh, <clears throat> Democracy Now! Amy Goodman and uh, Juan Gonzalez interviewing Puerto Rican activist Oscar Lopez Rivera, who, uh, whose sentence was commuted by President Obama and who came out of jail on May 17th. Uh, Rivera's, Rivera's uh, ordeal was certainly not the first time that Puerto Ricans spoke up for their justice. Puerto Rico has long been a U.S. colony and sort of given the short end of the stick, like uh, a lot of, a lot of um, uh, Central American, South American, Mexican people of color. But this is a whole nation of color. Another time earlier in the century, earlier in the 20th century, Puerto Rican nationalists uh, 
revolted, demonstrated their determination to free Puerto Rico, one of the activists was Lolita Lebron, uh, born in Lares, Puerto Rico, a family of poor cigar workers. Lolita remembers young children being forced to wet their pants in school if they didn't ask permission to use the bathroom in English. Intense battles between Puerto Rican nationalists and the colonial police were a feature of her adolescence. In the 40s, she moved to New York and was confronted with signs saying, no blacks, no dogs, no Puerto Ricans. She worked as a seamstress during the day and went to school at night, was briefly married and had a son whom she sent to her mother, who was already caring for Lolita's daughter in Puerto Rico. She became a follower of Dr. Pedro Albizu Campos, leader of the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party, and attended the party's meetings in New York. The jail leader chose Lolita, a woman he'd never met, to lead an attack on the U.S. House of Representatives on March 1st, 1954. Alita and her free and her comrades then purchased one-way tickets to Washington in the visitors gallery above the chamber in the House of Representatives she stood up shouting viva Puerto Rico libre libre and unfurled the Puerto Rican flag they then opened fire with automatic pistols wounding five lawmakers and one representative after her arrest she yelled i did not come to kill anyone i came to die Puerto Rico. Alita was pardoned by President Carter in 1979, sentenced to 60 days in prison in 2001 for trespassing in restricted areas on Vieques, Puerto Rican island then occupied by the U.S. Navy. Vieques was just my own editorial comment. Vieques was being used as target practice by the U.S. Navy, an, arm, uh, an island, the island and the ecosystems. On International Women's Day in 2008, Lolita gave another rallying speech telling the hundreds of women gathered, we want everyone to know that women in Puerto Rico support the men and are fighting for the independence of Puerto Rico. You must know the facts, she commented, the United States will repress anyone that tries to assert their birthright to nationhood. Lolita Lebron, a woman you wouldn't want to mess with. I said we were going to play songs from <clears throat> the Howard Zinn um, inspired series of songs called The People Speak. Here's one called American Terrorists. Lupe Flasco. Close your mind. See with your heart. How do you forgive the murderer of your father? The ink of a scholar 
is worth a thousand times more than the blood of a martyr terrorist. We came through the storm, nooses on our necks, and a smallpox blanket to keep us warm on the 747 on the Pentagon lawn. Wake up, the alarm clock is connected to a bomb. Anthrax lab on the West Virginia farm. Sure they ain't learn to walk, already heavily armed. Civilians and little children is especially harm. Camouflage Taurus, Bibles and glorious Qurans. The books that take you to heaven and let you meet the Lord there have become misinterpreted reasons for warfare. Reread them with blind eyes, I guarantee you there's more there. Rich must be blind, cause they ain't see the poor there, yeah, you need to open up the park, just close 10 schools, we don't need them, can you please call the fire department, they down here marching for freedom, burn down ATPs, turn their TVs on to teach them and move. Man, see that we all brothers, not cause things the same Because he like the same color, and that's grain Now that's main, he can't burn his cross Cause he can't afford the gasoline Now if a Muslim woman strapped with a bomb on the bus With the seconds running, give you the jitters Just imagine an American-based Christian organization Planning to poison water supplies to bring the second coming quicker Nigga, if they ain't living properly Break them off with a little democracy And turn their whole culture to a mockery And give them Coca-Cola for their property Give them gum, give them guns, get them young, give them fun If they ain't giving it up, then they ain't getting none And don't give them all, no man, just give them some It's the paper, some of these cops must be Al-Qaeda, nigga, on. Um. Machines that bring it back, 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 bring it back. Don't give the black man food, give the red man liquor, red man food, black man nigga, give yellow man tool, make them railroad builder, also give them pen, make them pull gold from river, give the black man crack, glocks and tings and get a red man craps, slot machines that bring it back, 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 bring it back.
liquor, red man, fool, black man, nigga. President on the way out. We just listened to uh, Lupe Fiasco, American terrorist. Fiasco, Wasalu, Mohammed Jaco from Chicago. His name is Lupe Fiasco. Once said you should challenge power, you should question power even if you agree with it. Right now we're listening to Pink sing Dear Mr. President and we're going to fade her out. This is Labor and Love. Today's show was brought to you by the 3,500 workers who died today worldwide because of conditions, labor conditions or conditions that were caused by work, black lung disease perhaps, corporal tunnel syndrome, things like that. In the United States that number is 150, so we're all about those people. This is the Labor and Love Show where we remind you 
If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're probably on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And right now, it's about 10 minutes till 11. Here's Kari Miraji to take us out. hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship 
as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> This is Tuchel Matters with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! What's with the limp? I got hit by a car on my bike. This person just ran a red light. How are you going to work? You wait tables. I don't know. I'm terrified. I count on my tips, and these hospital bills are confusing. The insurance adjusters just treat me like I'm a piece of paperwork. Man, you should go to johnstrausslaw.com. John Strauss is a great personal injury attorney. When I got hurt, he handled everything for me. He was on my side. And best of all, I didn't have to pay out of pocket. He got paid when I did. That's great because I cannot afford to pay out of pocket. Yeah, don't let them confuse you and trick you. They treat you like you're a business. And it's not business, it's personal. Injury. JohnStraussLaw.com The Night Space brings you High Time Storytime every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. Listen to San Francisco's finest underground comedians read crazy stories written by me, Arden, on The Night Space. The Night Space, featuring High Time Storytime, every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. High Time Storytime, Volume 1, now available on Amazon.com for Kindle and electronic download. Sunday, June 11th at Cobb's Comedy Club, 7.30 p.m. Tickets are $16 for the All-State Heavyweight Comedy Showdown! Hosted by Terry Dorsey, featuring some of the best comedians all over California. From San Francisco, Pam Benjamin. From Saratoga, Joey Avery. And all the way out of San Diego, Mike DeVore. Other comedians as well for only $16 at Cobb's Comedy Club, 915 Columbus Avenue. Go get your tickets for June 11th now. Tell me what you think about your situation, complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Then tune in live every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the Edge of Insanity with myself, Paul Brumbaugh. Kit Marie. Brandon Ray. And Mistress Christine. All on Mutiny Radio. That's right, pcrcollective.org. We'll see you there. Do you need?
need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's Performance Space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground Comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. <laughs> Top three cooking tips. One, if you're cutting an onion, remember to cry. Two, Put mustard on your marshmallows after they've finished boiling in vinegar at a low temperature. Three, knives are not spoons.
circuses in town, it's time for a train ride. The best circus town train rides are the dependable ones that'll depart and arrive on time. The ones that'll take you from clown to trapeze quad to elephant, see? But come on the train with the circus promise. It's intense. Hey there, fire chief. What you doing here with that old jalopy? Looking laid back with that jazz cigarette. Oh, I'd send you a telegram. <laughs> 